Welcome to the Wild at Heart University radio program, where our mission is to bring to you messages that will equip you to go to the next level with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Satan hates the fact that you are equipping yourself to stand firm against his attacks and learning how to overcome them. We guarantee the information shared in this podcast will impact you or someone you know. Share what you are learning. I guess the best way I can say that what I do is, you know, um, I'm a reality show guy, uh, not uh, not Desperate Housewives or, you know, uh, Lifetime Movie Network and, and all that, but, you know, like Swamp People, <laughs> where they have the ability to be chewed up and spit out. Um, uh, but there was a show out a while back... Um, and they've just now done it in Australia. It's called The World's Dirtiest Jobs. And uh, I, I travel on planes on occasion and people sit down with me and, you know, there's all the, 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 the initial five questions. And we get to, you know, well, what do you do? Uh, well, I have the world's dirtiest jobs. I clean poop out of people's lives. <laughs> it ain't pretty. Probably won't make the top ten bestsellers. But uh, I have a doctorate in poop. How many of you know the Greek word for poop is skabola? Turn to your neighbor and say, skabola happens. You know what's great about the word skabola? I can cuss in Greek and nobody gets offended. <laughs> Called my wife the other day. I got uh, three kids, five, three, and one. Uh, we had them in four years, all on the pill, not the little blue one. So... Uh, I mean, you know, those were destined babies. <laughs> Called my wife the other day. I said, honey, how's things going? She said, well, you know, the scabola really hit the fan today. And um, I'm just going to come down here if that's all right. And if it's not, you can meet with me and I'll pray you through that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, Really? Well, all right, we'll try this. That's all right. I will be down there, though. Problem with exhorters is they have to feel like they're connected to you. So, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. At the end of the service, he may say, you know, I wish you had been down. <laughs> Familiar passage of Scripture. Hopefully I can bring a little bit different light on it for you today. As you're turning there, I'm just going to read from John 8, 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came to Him and sat down, and He taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I mean, you know, that's a bad day. Come on, some of us have had those bad days, amen? Maybe not that bad day, but you know... Now Moses in the law commanded us, that such should be stoned. And we're not talking marijuana. 
y'all laugh, but there's people that come into our church down in Denton, Texas, and uh, they come to our connection class and they say, uh, why are all the why are some of the words in this book red? Uh, why when why when you tell us to turn to a page in the Bible, uh, it's not in alphabetical order? Because I really have trouble. Come on, brand new, don't know a thing about a thing. Come on, amen. All right, we'll keep moving. You're feeling me out. I'm feeling you out. Hallelujah. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those who accuse you? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You don't have to turn there, but uh, in Romans chapter 8, five verses, Romans chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. How many of you want to reign in this life? We need to learn to receive the abundance of His grace, or grace is abundance, and the gift of righteousness. And then in verse 18 it says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation to death, even so by the righteous act of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. My ministry uh, that the Lord's launched us into a couple years ago is called The Safe Place. The Bible says the Word of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. In the New Testament, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld who He was. And so the reality for us as believers is, is that the Word in us is a strong tower. We run into that Word inside of us and we are safe. How many of you know healing can only begin where we feel safe? If you don't feel safe, you can't heal. You'll stay guarded. You'll stay hidden. You'll stay in your shame, your guilt, your condemnation. But it's when we feel safe that God, we begin to trust the Lord and others and we begin to open up and really believe that we can let that stuff out. And so this morning, um, I don't know if you remember, I'm, I'm a bit of a sports person. Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so um won't tell you who we think the greatest team on the planet is. And for those of you that don't know, I just have one thing to say to you. Okay? That's a hallelujah plus one. That's not a hallelujah plus one. But anyways. <laughs> I love this crowd. This is good. I love it.
Isn't that what you get on a horse's hoof? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get this group back. Pastor, do not have him back. A few years ago, Gatorade ran a sports ad series where all the commercials were black and white. And except for the Gatorade. So you'd drink it, and it'd, you'd, sweat would come out, and the color would be the, great, the Gatorade. <clears throat> I like the boxing one because in the middle of it, they, they did like a super slow-mo. You know, they're boxing, and all of a sudden you see this fist come across, and the guy's mouth go like this, and spit flew, and Gatorade went everywhere. And, and uh, the catchphrase at the end of it was, Gatorade, is it in you? Uh, if you take notes today, and you're somebody that has to have a title... Uh, the title of my message is, Condemnation, Does It Have You? Condemnation, Does It Have You? You know, I pray with hundreds of people every year. And what's been amazing to me is, is that if there was ever a group of people, according to what Scripture says, that should feel good about themselves, should enjoy life, even in the midst of circumstances, or it should at least be at peace, should be happy... Regardless of what's going on, it ought to be us. Crazy thing is, I find that the people who feel the most ashamed, the most guilt-laden, the most condemned are us. And so, as I began this year, you know, Paul says, let's cast down every imagination... Really what he's talking about there is every image that becomes a nation in our minds that holds us captive. And in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Scripture says that the imaginations of the thoughts of the hearts of men was evil continually. Now we know that that's the Old Testament, and we know that the Old Testament is a shadow and a type of the New, and so that's painting a picture for us And we know that today, that we're the earth. I mean, we live on the earth, but we're the earth. God brought us up out of the earth. Amen? Amen. And so, when it says there that the imaginations, one of the definitions of that is networks or frameworks of thought. That there are these pictures that are in our minds, see, A three-stranded cord is not easily broken. And so if I have a thought that's negative and it links to another thought that is negative and it links to another thought that's negative, most of us don't process according to line-item thoughts. I don't believe I can conquer anything. I'm bad. I'm stupid. I won't amount to anything. That doesn't just type through our heads. What we get is pictures. So if I had a dad who said those things or created situations for me where I felt that way about myself, a lot of times I will, when I get into situations without realizing it, either hear his voice, have his face in the back of my head going, see, I told you this, 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 and this. So there are imaginations, there are images in our minds that become nations that hold us captive. The imaginations, the networks of thought in the thoughts or in the purposes of who the people were, in their inner mans, in their souls, in their minds, their wills, their emotions, 
ran evil continually. And here we're not in the New Testament talking about sin. We're talking about belief. I mean, you know, sin was done at the cross. That was a good place for an amen. See, I can't see you and I'm an exhorter. So if I don't hear you talking back to me, I'll think you didn't get it and I'll just keep saying the same thing over and over again. So, you, you, hey, I like this guy now. So the first nation that the Lord spoke to me at the beginning of the year that in what I carry to people that He wanted to see come down in people's lives is the nation that condemns or condemnation. And we recognize that it's not in every area of our lives. We don't, hopefully we don't walk around in every place, situation, and instance feeling this. But it is when we get in certain situations when that situation triggers what's already inside of me or pushes the button to blow it up, I start to feel that way. Another thing that's interesting to me is we talk in a culture, and so I call that Christianese. You know, I say things in here I'd never say at the restaurant. How you doing today? Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. The service was great. Felt the goosebumps. Blood of Jesus cleansed me from all unrighteousness. Ta, ta, ta. It's been a great day. Man, I walk into a restaurant. Lady says, hey, I'd like to take your order. How you doing today? And I say, hey, glory to God. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus covers me. Feeling good today. I'll have the Caesar salad. And she's going to walk over to one of her friends and she's going to go, listen, I got four tables and I want to bless you with these guys over here. (laughs) So I've been doing this prayer thing for 20 years and and unfortunately or whatever, I just never looked up the word condemnation. It's a good tagline when you get going in the Holy Ghost. Guilt, condemnation, shame, hallelujah, let Jesus cover it all. But what does that really mean? Most of us may think that that means it's an emotion. Actually, it's really a verb. It's an actionary thing. Simply put, condemned means to be damned. Or it's that sense of there was a rule, I broke it, there's a judgment, now I'm condemned. There is a sentence pronounced on me, and in what we know in Scripture, it was a sentence to death. It is being judged unfit for use. My Bible says that God has purposed and planned a whole life for me, but I'm not walking in it because I don't feel I am worthy of use. You're condemned. The problem is, is if we're in Christ, before that we were condemned to death. Now you're just condemned, but you will live. So the interesting thing here then is, again, I like reality shows. And there was this one that, uh, it's called Infestations. You know, you get all these critters in there to try and get them out. 
And uh, there was this one show where they were talking about brown recluse spiders. Some of you are squirming now. We will have a sign-up sheet at the end and we'll take care of that. Those little dudes are about the size of my pinky finger. Now, when I moved down to Dallas, Texas, I bought a house. And I rented some rooms out to help subsidize the mortgage. And one of the first guys that was in one of the rooms, he came out, I was slinging eggs one morning, and uh, he said, hey, I said, hey, man, how's it going? He said, good. He said, uh, hey, listen, I just want you to know I killed two brown recluse spiders in that back bedroom. You may want to, you know, get the house sprayed. I was like, cool, dude, slinging eggs. He come over, grab my arm. He said, no, 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 seriously, dude. You're not from around here, are you? And I said, well, it's a spider, right? And he was like, uh, well, yeah, but let me send you a link. So he sent me this link. I start reading through it. Dude. <laughs> like, they bite your arm and all the flesh just falls off. It, like, melts off. Like, what is this place I've been called to? <laughs> I mean, I'm from the Midwest. I spent two years here, seven years in Lansing, grew up in Pennsylvania. Like, man, we have ants that will bite and kill you in quantities. This place is crazy. So anyways, on this show, there's these thousands of brown recluse spiders in this house. They spend the whole show trying to get them out, get them out, get them out. They can't get them out. Finally, at the end of the show, see these yellow tape come over this door and a big stamp on the house condemned. As we go along here today, where in your heart and your life do you believe there's tape across the doors of your heart? And condemned is written across it because you just don't believe somebody, the one, can clean that out. So Romans chapter 5, verse 18 says that through one man's unrighteous act, some things happen. And then through another man's righteous act, some more things happened. So if I was Bill Gates and had $50 billion and could set up all my equipment, I'd do these hologram things for you today, and that'd be really cool. But since I'm not him and don't have that money, you're just going to have to imagine. So on this side of the stage, I would start talking about this one man and his unrighteous act. And we'd blow up this big sphere and it'd be moving and over the top of the sphere there'd be Adam. And it says through one man's unrighteous act, judgment came and with that judgment, condemnation to death. Question. Whose unrighteous act? Adam. Pastor Nathan's unrighteous act? Pastor Josh's unrighteous act? Your unrighteous act? My unrighteous act? No. Through one man's unrighteous act. He was here about 6,000 years ago. So I'm trying to figure out why so many of us, if we're in Christ, still are focused on our act. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so some of you don't already hear the gears going. Just keep them from doing that for a second. What we've got to understand is, is that the judgment that we feel and the condemnation that we have didn't come because of what we did, are doing, or will do. It came from one man, Papa, 
generations ago. He launched all this into our lives. It has nothing to do with you in terms of you doing anything to cause the judgment, to cause the condemnation. It was all by Him. That's Adam. Now we come over here and a sphere pops up. And this is the last Adam. I preach a whole message that there are only two men in the Bible. And once you understand there were only two men in the Bible, it clears a whole bunch of things up. Yeah, there were lots of other men in the Bible, but we always vacillate between these two men. Now listen, if you're a certain personality type that's extremely black and white, I just need you to try and go gray a little bit today. Because it's not either or, it's both and in the context of God moving us from one place to another. But it says that if one man's unrighteousness act Adam produced judgment and condemnation for all humanity, one man's righteous act. Oh, you're not hearing me. One man's righteous act produced a free gift under the justification of life. Now listen, and I'm not mad at you, Pastor. My pastor says smile when you're saying hard things. I'm smiling. Okay? You're just going to have to listen now because I can't do this up there, all right? That gentleman in the back. (laughs) Through one man's righteous act. Whose righteous act? My righteous act? Pastor's righteous act? Your righteous act? Now listen, watch this. If we constantly are stuck on our own acts here, we're going to be constantly stuck on our own righteousness here. You have to resolve in your mind that it was my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa. His unrighteous act produced these things. And I couldn't change those things. I can't make myself righteous through one man's righteous act. Through the finished work of the cross. When He said it was finished, He meant it was finished. He didn't mean because you're struggling with pornography or lust or romance novels, or whatever you're struggling with, well, that exercises you. You're cut off from this. When He said it's finished, it was finished. Period. There's nothing added. There's nothing taken away. It was finished. When it was finished, He gave us the free gift And some of us would say that's the free gift of eternal life. And you wouldn't be wrong. But in this context, it was the free gift of righteousness. If this is a gift, and I give it to Him, thank you, and I give it to Him and He receives it, And then he goes, now what do I owe you? Yet, we've been given the free gift of righteousness and we go, well, I've got to act this way, not act that way. I've got to do this. I've got to not do that. When are we going to quit thinking we've got to pay for something? By what we do or don't do. It was free. 
it's still free. As a matter of fact, you know what Jesus said about... Well, you got a crew here, boy. Hallelujah. It's awesome, dude. Just don't do it again. Um, when do we start thinking if it is all Him? You know what Jesus said? He said, if you try to do anything to add to this gift or take away from it, your righteousness is as filthy rags. And we ain't talking and we ain't talking used oil rags. We talking used menstrual rags. Oh wow. Yeah, that's what he said. It is oh yeah. Because he wants you to see that it's all him or all Adam. The other thing here is is that that judgment came into our lives with that damning to death through Him. But through what He did, it wasn't just that He gave us the free gift of righteousness, that right standing with Him, apart from anything, He gave it unto justification of life. Or just as if I had never done anything. To what life? To His life. If if you have a record, I've got a record. If you have a record in heaven, you have no record. It's wiped out. Not there. We keep going to Him saying, God, forgive me for this, that, and the other thing. And when you ask Him the first time to forgive you, He forgave you. He walking around heaven going, what the heck is they talking about? He keeps talking about things I have no recollection of. I pull his file, they're not in there. Oh, you aren't hearing me. Listen. For 4,000 years or 2,000 years, God made covenants with man through the Israelites. Yeah? And he pulled his hair out because they wouldn't live up to the covenant. He got frustrated and angry with them. So he said, enough of this. Son, you're going. And God made a covenant with Himself. And when Jesus fulfilled everything in the law, it was complete. Father said, enough. His blood was spilt on that mercy seat. And when you say yes to that covenant, it's not that you're making the covenant, it's that God already made it and you're stepping into it and He's enveloping you with it. So it doesn't matter if you're struggling with whatever God's convicting you about. It doesn't matter I used pornography because that was my struggle. It doesn't matter if I'm struggling it with this today. If I'm in that covenant, His blood's still covering me. If I do something today, His blood's still running over me. If I do something tomorrow, His blood's still running over me. You cannot change your position once you're enveloped in Him. Now I hear Ethel saying, well, bless God, is he still struggling? No, I'm not still struggling. Because, you know, put that preacher up there living in sin, and I just... 
know if I want to come here anymore. Listen, those of you that think I'm talking about greasy grace, you just do whatever you want. It's okay. You're not in that last Adam. You're in Adam. Because my Bible says in Titus chapter 2, the grace of God has appeared to all men. The grace being Jesus Christ. And by that grace, we are learning and taught to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, as we live a self-controlled, upright life in this present age, waiting for the great appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all started in grace. It all moves in grace. It all ends in grace. It's an inward-out movement. So put that in your law pipe and smoke it. (laughs) But here's what happens. We start in the morning praying with the Lord, putting our best Josh music on, feeling the Holy Ghost goosebumps. And we walk out and we get in our car. We're singing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. The Lord has made. We get into our car, driving down the road. Somebody cuts in front of us. This ain't his day. This ain't his day. The Lord ain't made it for him. Gonna run up on his bummer. Gonna wave at him. Gonna tell him how I feel. Hallelujah. What I do? I just step back in Adam. Oh, I know. You pray for me. None of you got any of these problems. It's all good. You pray for this preacher. We're constantly moving this way. Because the sanctification process is an inward-out process. So somebody walks in and they're drinking a case of beer a week. And so God starts getting his heart. And pastor goes over and he says, Hey, pastor, you want a beer? No, I'm good. Okay. Mind if I have one? No, go ahead. Why? Because God from the inside out has got to change the heart. So pastor goes back about a month later. Hey, how you doing? You know the craziest thing, pastor? I drank a case of beer a month. I'm down to about 12 beers. I just got it in my head that I really don't need to be doing that anymore. That's great. That's great. Can we just let the Holy Ghost be the Holy Ghost? Can we just... Can we, can we just trust Him to do what He says He'll do? Let me have that stool, Josh. I like illustrations because they help me understand what I'm preaching. Let me show you how easily, you know, I'm saying pornography, alcohol. A lot of us may or may not have that. So let's break it down to where we really live, okay? The Bible says that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. I really can't comprehend that. I'm a simple man. It's like trying to comprehend $16 trillion a day. I just, I just can't comprehend that. Now, I ain't going anywhere. I'm just saying I can't comprehend that. So let's break it down this way for the sake of the illustration. 
let's say one day is as a thousand days. And a thousand days is as one day. Because I can comprehend that. That would mean that 500 days is about 12 hours. 250 days is about 6 hours. And 125 days is about 3 hours. Now we know it's infinitely more than that according to the equation. Now having said that, if you really want me to blow your mind, if a, if a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day, if I live 120 years in this life, it's like living a billion years in eternity, and in God's mind, that's one second. All right. That's what I said. So back to a thousand days is as one. So, I sit down as Papa in my den, or at the table, we'll say, and my son's five years old, and I have lunch with him at noon. And he goes running out, and he goes play. Now, honestly, if I don't hear or see him in five minutes, there's something wrong. He's into something. (laughs) But for the sake of the illustration, my son is gone three hours. And... He could care less where Pop is. He's doing his thing. He's living his purpose. Pop, on the other hand, goes, Wow, you know, I haven't seen my son in three hours. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder what's going on in his life. I wonder if he's having a good time. I wonder if... I'm not thinking, I'm going to kill that kid for not getting back to me. Now, Father God is sitting in his den... And he's in his big chair. And you could literally go 125 days without talking to him and it'd be like three hours. Oh, you aren't hearing this. Now listen, I hear Harold telling Ethel, so that means I don't have to talk to God for 125 days. No, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) What I'm saying is, is we've got to get a kingdom perspective on how God looks at us. And so we come up to the door of the den. It's Sunday. I've felt the Holy Ghost. Pastor Nathan is fired from on high. It's changed my life. I'm going to live holy. And I get to Thursday and I haven't even talked to God. Or better yet, like me, every at the beginning of every year, I determine I'm going to read through the Bible in the year. And it's the middle of November and I'm still in Deuteronomy. I'm going to pray for two hours. I'm going to get up at 4.30 rather than than 6.30. And, and, And I made that all of nothing. Yeah, that one didn't even last a day. And so I'm coming to Father God, and I open the door to His den. And I walk in and I go, I'm a worm. I'm a worm. I'm a worm. Lord, listen, I know I know what I vowed to You even though he didn't expect that. I know what I vowed to you, and I know, you know, it was Sunday, and and I know this is an excuse, but i got three kids under five, and i got a wife, and and, and i got a job, and and I know it's Thursday, and and I just ask you to forgive me for, for, for not doing what I said I'd live up to.
You know, I grew up in a culture that said, you know, if I don't do things and I don't repent, or if I do things and I don't repent, God's got an angel walking behind me with a book. And he's erasing my name. And then when I repent, he writes it back in. By 11, I had been through 20 books and 100 pencils. And the angel was asking for a job transfer. I'm just saying. Listen, watch this, watch this. Dad, sitting in his big den chair, fire's going. He sees the shadow of your feet coming up under the door. He starts to see the doorknob turn. And while you're on the other side of the door, thinking the way you are, as soon as he hears your step come up to the door, as soon as he starts to see the knob of the door turn, He doesn't wait for you to come in with your tail between your legs. He jumps up out of his chair, runs to the door, grabs it, your hands holding it tight by the law of religion in your life, and he swings the door open and launches you into the air, catches you in his arms, twirls you around, sits down with you, and says, tell me what's going on in your life. You have purposes to fulfill. You have plans that I put in you. How can I help you? Do you need a hug? Do you need direction? Do you need... Somebody give God praise in this house. That's my daddy. My daddy. My daddy. Now I can preach my message. This church is packed 500 strong. It's a good place for an amen. amen. There's 20 elders on staff. We noticed this one day that as Pastor Nathan's up here and fire and lightning are just coming out. The presence of God is just rolling. I mean, people who normally don't even move are up. Oh, God! But we noticed that 20 chairs of the elders are vacant. And so, as he's doing this, the doors swing open and 10 of them come marching in. Very serious, almost like Gestapo agents. And they line up and a woman comes in totally naked except for a bed sheet. They plop her right in the middle. The other ten line up here. Stop everything. And they say to Pastor Nathan, they say to Jesus, this one was caught in the very act. Now, interestingly enough, my Bible says in Leviticus 20.10, if two people are caught and they act like this, they'll be brought in. If she's caught in the very act and there's only one person here, I think one of the 20 had a good time. And I think the other 19 original porno. Because listen, if I'm with my wife and the Song of Solomon says I'm to climb my own palm tree, and I'm climbing my palm tree and you're climbing your palm tree, how do I know whatever else is going on? 
Come on, I ain't ever been climbing my palm tree, looked out the window and saw somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Is this too real for you? Because that's kind of what's going on here. They just do the Bible in movies the way it is. They make lots of money. And so here we are. And they all come in. They ask Him these questions. Jesus doesn't answer them. He just starts writing on the ground. There's another time in Scripture where God's hand wrote on the ground. Writing the Ten Commandments. So now watch this. He writes on the ground. He doesn't answer them. He stands up as the rabbi and answers them according to the law. And he says, if you who are without sin in the law, you cast the first stone. These are lawmen. They're lawyers. They're convicted in the law and they walk out. And Jesus writes on the ground again. What's he giving us a picture of? He's giving us a picture of the law. Two tablets. He writes twice. Now watch this. In any area of your life, the law will lead you to Jesus, but it has to walk away. Because that's its job. Once you're at the foot of Jesus, and Jesus now stands up, looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? He didn't, the rabbi didn't, Jesus did. The one that bridges the way. Salvation. She pulls the sheet tighter. She looks at him. And she says, there's no one here, Lord. She says, Lord. She doesn't say rabbi. She doesn't say bridge way, way maker. She says, Kyrios, the one that I'm willing to submit my life to like property. The master. Because she realized that when they walked out and he didn't pick up a stone, she was safe. We hope this radio program impacted your life. Our main hope and mission is that you have a continued personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We recommend that you pray every day, attend a Bible-believing church, and read the Holy Bible each day. If you don't know where to start reading, we recommend to start in the book of John. 